0: Now, uh, we are working our way through the gospel, according to John, and I think it's fair to say that Jesus is no stranger to controversy. A lot of the things that he says stirs up some questions and confusion among the people who hear. The things that he does and where and how he does them causes people to uh, be concerned a little bit, and Jesus has just finished saying, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it back up again. This causes some controversy, and throughout the gospel, there is this question that's bubbling just below the surface in all of these controversies. And finally, it breaks out. See if you can pick it out. We're in John chapter 10. We're going to be beginning in verse 19. "'There was again a division among the Jews because of his words. Many of them said, "'He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him?' Others said, "'These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon.'" Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, "'How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly.' Jesus answered them, "'I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me.' But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us. God, this morning we ask that you would send your Spirit to us as we do each week. Help us to hear the words of Jesus and recognize your voice. Help us to know that these are the words of life. In them are contained your love for us, your provision, your grace, your mercy, your sacrifice. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Tony Hawk is probably the greatest skateboarder alive, and without a doubt, a figurehead of my childhood, and I would assume many of yours. He is what I would call the father of modern skateboarding. He was everywhere in the 90s, in the early 2000s. He was always on TV. Everybody wanted to have a a Tony Hawk skateboard. Everybody played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 on Nintendo 64. I can remember watching him land the first 900, spinning around two and a half times on a vert ramp. Now, he's retired, and he doesn't uh, skate in competitions anymore, but he's still a pretty public figure, and he's readily recognizable. He's tall and rather lanky. He has a pretty memorable face, and what's interesting is that he chronicles on his Twitter and social media accounts when people recognize him, kind of. It always goes a little bit awry, Uh, and so uh, in his most recent post, which is from January 16th, it sounds exactly like all the other instances of him being recognized. January 16th, he writes, at Mammoth Mountain, waiting to video my daughter on a ski jump. Some dude, sorry I keep staring at you, but you look just like Tony Hawk. Me, I've heard that. Dude's friend, we should take a selfie with him and say it was him. I've done this with other celeb lookalikes. Minutes later, after the jump occurs, daughter, do you want me to take a photo of you guys? Dude, no thanks, we're good. Don't want to bother you. It happens all the time. In coffee shops, in restaurants, even when he's checking in for a flight, the TSA agent will get his license and say, Tony Hawk, like the skateboarder? And his response is, yeah, kinda. (laughs) All the time, people think that he's someone famous, But it's so weird to see him out in an everyday life. I can only imagine that eventually these people see on his social media page that they had made a mistake, that they feel that they missed out on talking with the real Tony Hawk. They would have been so different if they had known who he was. They definitely would have taken that picture. If they had only known who he was, they would have treated him differently. What are we supposed to do with Jesus? How are we supposed to treat him? Where does he fit into our lives? That is the question that these Jews come to Jesus with. They've seen him do stuff, and they've heard him say stuff. He has become a celebrity in the uh, Israelite community. These people have the first row seat to watch him work. They've interacted with Jesus himself. He's engaged with them. And now what? That question does not change for you and I 2,000 years later. The question doesn't change if this is the first time that you've heard about Jesus or if you've grown up as a follower of Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? It's what being a Christian is all about. It's not about behaving a certain way or going certain places, doing things, not doing things, saying things, not saying other things. First and foremost, being a Christian is answering the question, What do you do with Jesus? This passage tells us that a really common approach is trying to squish him down, to to shape him into a nice little Jesus that fits into our lives, a Jesus that we want. But Jesus' response is you got to take me as I am. Watch and listen. Now, it would have been helpful if I put my points into the PowerPoint, but I didn't. So follow along, three points we want to shape Jesus, Jesus says, take me as I am. Watch and listen. First, we want to shape Jesus. I'll remind you the last couple weeks, we've seen a scene unfold where there was a man who was born blind, and Jesus heals him, and then in his healing, the whole community begins to talk about what's gone on and who Jesus could be. The Jews have seen Jesus perform a miracle They've heard him say that he is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. And all of that sounds interesting. Healing someone, great. Good shepherd, awesome, we're for it. But you're going to die? That doesn't fit. Who are you? They kind of get bored at this guessing game. So verse 24, they just unload. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, they use this term for Jesus here, Christ. This is the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one, someone who is set apart for a particular job or a particular title. And that's important because when the Old Testament was translated from its original Hebrew into the Greek, the word Christos was used for the word Messiah in the Old Testament. And the Messiah was this promised king, From the line of David, whom God would send to change the lives of his people. And over time, these promises of the Messiah began to create expectation in the Jewish community. They began to expect that the Messiah would come and free them from the oppression of foreign enemies. That he would gather in all of the Jews who had been dispersed throughout the ancient Near East. And he would establish them as the power of God on earth as a nation. To the Jews listening, Jesus starts to sound a little bit like that guy. But their comment to him, are you the Christ, comes off a little bit different than, hey, you kind of remind us of someone. They're actually rather impatient and somewhat bullish here. Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Their question is filled more with expectation than it is with hope. There's this guy that we've been waiting for who's going to do all this amazing stuff. Now, are you him or not? Are you the plug-and-play Messiah that our families have been waiting for for generations? Because we're ready for that guy. And if you're not, we don't have time. It's easy for us to recognize expectation building over someone who has done amazing things. It reminds me of that scene from the movie Braveheart, right before the Battle of Falkirk, where all the Scottish are lined up and William Wallace rides out in front. He's got his face all painted blue, just like the posters. And he says, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. And the guy in the front row goes, No, you're not. William Wallace is seven feet tall. And he says, Yes, I've heard. And he kills men by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd swallow up the English with fireballs from his eyes. And there's other parts that I won't say. Right? Because the, the tales of William Wallace had pr- painted him larger than life, he had grown in expectation and stature. The same is true for Jesus, for this Messiah, because the promises were so amazing, so grand, his expectations had built. Now maybe you haven't seen Jesus heal a man born blind like the Jews did. But I know that you've heard someone whose life was radically changed by meeting Jesus. Whose life was brought out of addiction, drinking, gambling, whatever, brought out of misery or loneliness or heartbreak, totally changed. Those things are just as miraculous, especially to the person who experiences them. And I know that you've heard, no doubt, that Jesus died, but then he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. With such an amazing resume, we, like the Jews, are inclined to wonder, are you going to meet my expectations or not? Are you the Jesus that I've been waiting for or not? Just tell me plainly. Right? It's the polite way of asking Jesus to fit into the nice little box that we've created for Him. Right? Jesus, I've made room for you in my life. It's right here. Right? I don't want you messing with all this other stuff here. I've got a handle on that, Jesus. Fit in right here if you are Jesus fit into this nice little space. Now, a scary thing that I've noticed uh, happening in the world and in myself is that recently we've just stopped asking the question of Jesus altogether, and we just begin to talk about a Jesus that fits into that box, that walks and talks and thinks just the way we want Him to, just like us. A Jesus who supports our selfish career ambition Who is okay with our self righteous behavior and our shallow and utilitarian treatment of other people? We assume and we present a Jesus who votes like we vote, who views people the way we view people, is concerned about the things that we're concerned about. The Jesus we often show forth is one that dislikes the things that we dislike. He looks down on the people that we look down on and he demands change for the decisions that we cannot tolerate. You and I often say things like, this is what a Christian should do, and I find in myself when I say that, what comes next looks a lot more like me than the real Christ. Are you my version of Jesus or not? Tell me plainly. Jesus' response is, you can't mold me. You can't fit me in. You have to take me as I am. Jesus says, take me as I am. Now, if the points were up there, you would see, take me as I am, all caps, I am. Right? This is nothing new for Jesus. Jesus doesn't conform to other people's expectations. Just to remind you, earlier in John, there was a party that Jesus was at. It was a wedding feast, and there was no wine. Jesus' mom comes to him and says, do something about this. The host is going to be embarrassed. Jesus is like, this is, I'm not on the party planning committee. Don't talk to me about this. I've got one focus, one thing that I'm going to do. Jesus' mom leaves, and eventually he actually does something about it. He doesn't conform. Jesus does what he wants to do. He's focused on the thing that he was charged to do, and here he explains that. Verse 28, I give my sheep eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is why Jesus doesn't conform. This is why you and I can't shape Jesus into a nice, neat little package that fits into our lives. This is why you can't make Jesus in your own image, because Jesus says here, I and the Father are one. You can't create me in your image because I created you. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses this phrase, I and the Father are one. There's a lot packaged in there. We're going to look at it next week, but it's important for us to know That he is referencing a passage from Deuteronomy 6, a passage that the Jews listening would no doubt have known by heart very easily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema, which means hear in Hebrew. It was a phrase that they memorized from childhood that they put everywhere, on the doorposts of their houses, on their gates, so that as they came and as they went, they would remember that the Lord your God, the Lord is one. They wrote it on little pieces of paper and carried it with them at all times to know that the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And here is Jesus standing in front of them saying, I'm part of that one. I and the Father, we are one, not separate, not separate but one, equal in power and glory. There is no difference between me and the Father. This is huge. This is striking. It changes everything. Jesus is saying, I am God with flesh. Just as John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as the Apostle Paul writes much later in Colossians 2, in him, Jesus, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Jesus confirms here, there is no difference between me and God in power and in glory. We are one. It's easy for us just to move past that. Okay, Jesus is God. It's easy for us to take the records of history in Scripture and to think, yeah, but this is a human who did some amazing things, right? Some unbelievable things, but we can't lose sight of the reality that this is God. Jesus is God walking among men. The powerful, glorious One came to us. Why? To do what? To give His sheep eternal life. God took on flesh to give. George Jenkins is the founder of a grocery store chain called Publix. Now, it's huge in the southeast. It's kind of expanding across the nation. I grew up shopping at Publix. That was my grocery store growing up. And he, like Sam Walton, who started Walmart, started with one store, and then it began to expand, and it began to grow. And he made millions and millions and millions of dollars, George Jenkins did. But he gave most of it away. He, he chose not to take a ton of stock from his company when it started, when it went public, but instead made sure that every employee of Publix gets some stock, including the bag boys. He has given away millions and millions of dollars to charities, to communities, to individuals who need help, particularly those who work for him in times of need, hands them checks, gives away money, And at one point, someone asked him, how much do you think you'd be worth if you hadn't given all of that money away? And his response was, nothing. But that's it. He recognizes the value of money and its comparison to actual worth. He recognizes how important it is to sacrifice and to give. It's amazing to hear the founder and CEO of such a large company giving away so much. How much more amazing is it then that the God of the universe who created all things out of nothing by the power of His Word gives Himself, not some money, but Himself. To give His sheep eternal life, God took on flesh. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He earned the honor and acclaim of God. He earned life eternal, and He gave it to you by going to the cross, dying, and rising again. Jesus is saying to the Jews listening, this is it. This is everything. It's who I am and what I've come to do. Jesus says the same thing to you. How are we supposed to deal with that? How do we interact with that Jesus, the I am Jesus, the God who gives all of it to us? We watch and we listen. Last point, we are to watch and we are to listen. These people have seen Jesus heal a man born blind. They've heard him talk about being the good shepherd, and when they say, are you the Christ or not? His response to them is actually rather blunt. He says, I already have told you, but you didn't listen. Now, they heard, but they didn't listen. And more than that, he says, I've shown you but you weren't watching. Everything that I've done has revealed that I have been sent by the Father, you know, the God of God, light of light, creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus says, I've done all these works. Well, you think just some everyday carpenter's son from Nazareth can turn water into wine, can heal a paralytic, can open a man's eyes who is blind from birth. Everybody saw and everybody heard that. But Jesus said, y'all aren't watching and you're not listening. There's something deeper that he is inviting the people that are listening to him to do. There's something about what Jesus does that keeps people around, and he wants us to pay attention to it, right? That's why I use this passage from verse 21 that we actually talked about last week. Everyone is seeing Jesus do these things and say these things, and the Jews, the leaders of the Jewish community say, "No, don't listen. This guy's crazy. He's possessed by a demon." But there was division. Because some of them say, hmm, can a demon open the eyes of a blind man? There's something about what Jesus does that draws people in. There's something about the works of Jesus that capture our attention and keep us coming back for more. And Jesus here says there's a reason. is because they're not just me doing amazing things. But they reveal to you that I have come from the Father. Just as we've talked about, the signs that Jesus performs are windows into the kingdom of God. Another way to talk about them are acts of recreation. Jesus is restoring creation back to the way it should be. The man who was blind was able to see. The man who was lame was able to walk. The party that was ending was given the gift to keep on going. They are acts of recreation, and Jesus says they're interesting to you. You want to watch and you want to listen because they remind you of your own creation. Each one of us was made by God Almighty, and our souls bear his fingerprints. And what Jesus says is, when you're captivated by my works, it's because it feels familiar. It reminds you of what you were created to be. It's like deja vu, or being in a place that you haven't been in a long time, and all the memories come flooding back. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Orlando and landed in the airport, got my baggage, got a rental car, swung back around and picked up my sister, who was coming in for my grandmother's funeral as well, and she got in the car and said, wow, this place is huge, totally different now. And I said, yeah, but it smells the same. And she said, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, there was, I knew there was something that smelled familiar. We got to my brother's house where we were staying, and he was like, you guys figure out the airport? Okay, it's, it's totally different. I was like, yeah, it's amazing. It still smells the same. He was like, what are you talking about? He had been there many times. He flies out of the Orlando airport all the time. He has smelled the same smell we smell, but it just didn't sit with him the way it sat with us. Jesus says, don't just, don't just see, don't just hear, watch, listen, you notice how those two things are actually receiving actions? You watch and you listen without doing anything. It's just being there. Watching and listening are what Jesus calls us to do because seeing and hearing, they're not enough. Now, what's the difference? This is important. Jesus says to the Jews, in order to watch and to listen, you have to be part of the flock. You got to be one of my sheep. Now, the question becomes, how do we know if we're one of the sheep? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Watching and listening comes out of being known by God. Being known by God, not just in like an everyday sense, oh, there's Bill, that's Mary. But in a deep, covenantal, relational way, you have to be known by God. It's what the Bible talks about as election, Before the foundations of the world, God chose some to be his sheep. Some to not just see and hear, but some who are able to watch and to listen as Jesus works and Jesus speaks. And it's at this point that questions and concerns begin to arise in our heart. Why some and not others? Why does God elect some and not other people? Why is it that some only see and hear while some can watch and listen? This is an important question. And it's one that God does not answer outside of the normal for His own glory. But the truth is that for most of us, that question is actually far more specific and far more personal than why some and not others. The question is most often, why me and not that person? Why not this friend of mine? Why not this family member, my parents, my children? my spouse, whoever it might be? Why me and not them? This is a hard, hard question. But within this passage comes an answer to the first part of that question. Why me? Why do I get to watch and listen? Why has God given me the ability to watch and listen? Why has He called me to be one of His sheep? And the answer is what we see from Jesus sending people out. The man who was blind and can now see, Jesus sends him out. He sends him to the pool called Siloam, which means sent. The apostles, the prophets of the Old Testament, all of God's people throughout time were called in order to show and to tell. Because you don't know who might listen, who might watch. When Jesus begins to change your life, when you begin to see the works of God Himself affect who you are, the, the question of why me is answered by going to tell others. Yes, it might seem like this person doesn't know Jesus right now, but it is God who knows who is part of the sheep and who is not. So, go, tell, show, go, tell and show how Jesus has changed you. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have it perfectly. Jesus says, go, show, and tell. Now, there's something else that Tony Hawk puts online that I think is amazing. And it's videos of him driving around, mostly Southern California, pulling up to people on the sidewalk with a skateboard, rolling down the window and shouting, do a kickflip. Now, a kickflip is a skateboard trick, that you can do without a ramp. And so he's telling people to do it. And a lot of times, as soon as he rolls down the window and says it, they know this is Tony Hawk. They recognize him immediately. Some of them try, some of them land it, some of them fall, and he always gets out of the car and he has something to give them. He's got a new skateboard, he's got a new jacket, he's got a helmet, knee pads, all kinds of stuff. Sometimes he pulls up and it's a young person, a kid, Maybe, and they've got a skateboard. He says, Do a kick flip. And their response is, I can't. He gives them something anyway. (laughs) He goes, What can you do? Jump. He gets out. He's got a skateboard, helmet, all this kind of stuff. Sometimes he even gets out and he shows them what to do. See, for him, it's not about getting them to perform, it's about seeing himself in them, recognizing that he was once just like them. It's about encouraging them. And showing them that even he, the great Tony Hawk, knows them, cares for them, wants to gift them with something. See, the truth of the matter is we are so quick to hear the call of Jesus to show and tell, or to pray, or read, or rest, or give, or slow down, or fast, or go to church and think, if I don't do that, he's gonna be disappointed. And the reason that we take it that way is because we're still making Jesus in our own image just like us. But the real Jesus, the I am Jesus, the God-man, He's all about seeing Himself in you, changing you, encouraging you, growing you, shaping you. So when He calls you to do these things, whether you try and succeed or you try and fail or you say back, I can't, His response is going to be the same. I've given myself to you. I give myself to you. Watch and listen. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled that you would even take notice of us. Oh God, you are supreme, almighty, omnipotent, eternal, unchangeable. You created us. We turn our back on you, we ignore you, we run away from you, and yet, God, you pursue us, and you did everything necessary to draw us back to you. You came, you lived, you died, and you rose again for us. Help us to see you at work. Help us to hear your voice proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Help us to show others how you've changed us. Help us to tell them the truth that you are their good shepherd, that you died for them, and all they have to do is watch and listen. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.